Well, very good morning to you, uh, my brothers and sisters. Thankful for this Lord's Day, the chance to worship together, to focus on the Lord Jesus, what he's done for us, and to uh, all those at home this morning, welcome to you. We do long for the day when we can all be together again, as the Lord would permit those circumstances. In the meantime, we continue to represent him and grow in him, as we'll even talk about more later today. By way of encouragement, I thought I'd start with a letter from Dr. Cynthia Smallwood from Cornerstone Pregnancy Services, Dear Providence Church. We're extremely excited about the purchase of our new ultrasound machine, we plan to purchase, and then she names the model, uh, which will provide a vivid picture into the womb. Uh, my medical staff is so excited and feel truly blessed by the members of Providence Church. We'll keep you updated on any further developments. So way to go in uh, the Christmas initiative. Of course, that's one of four things we were able to do. And just thankful for the impact all of you are having even beyond the walls of the church. By way of announcements, February 20th, so six days from now, that's a Saturday, we have a men's breakfast that's going to be at 8 a.m. if we have that slide. Uh, so Pastor Joe, who's around most of the morning, uh, uh, the 20th of February, men's breakfast, 8 a.m., we'd love to have you again, just a chance to meet uh, other, others from the church. Similarly, uh, the Wednesday morning men's Bible study, this will, uh, oh, doors open at 6 o'clock, and kind of start at 6.30 and then a hard stop at 7.30. I'm told it's off to a great start, about 10 or 12 guys, and uh, that chance again to be uh, focused on God's word, to apply it to our lives, and that will end promptly at 7.30 so we can uh, make a uh, move towards work for those who uh, that would be important. Thirdly, moms of preschoolers, so moms of the young ones, a night out for you Tuesday, February 23rd. So guys, grandparents, we should block that off so we can help uh, watch the children. Uh, but Tuesday, February 23rd, a mom's night out. Dawn Garrett would be a good contact for that, but you see there 7 to 8.30 here at the church. Moms of preschoolers, night out just for you. And we once again rejoice. Uh, in the birth of Timothy J. Heater III. He'll go by TJ. Tim and Tara are the uh, proud parents. And interesting fact, I, I, um, I learned that uh, TJ's mother, Tara, was the very first baby born uh, when Providence Church was constituted in the early 90s. So you can see Tara uh, came into uh, the church family then, and then God in his faithfulness has run that full circle. And we welcome TJ, are thrilled uh, for the Heater family and for the Skinners who are the grandparents. Uh, just very, very thankful indeed. So those things being announced, uh, again, I hope we're able to focus on what God would teach us in his word as we build each other up in this truth. And Pastor Ian will, will call us to worship. Church, good morning. And church at home, good morning to you. Let's all stand together as one, singing the truths of God. Let's prepare ourselves in prayer. Father, you are the God of all grace. You're a God robed in majesty, in the splendor of holiness, utter perfection, perfect righteousness. Father, you are distinct from all that you've made. You are holy. You are not like your creation. And yet, Lord, you're a God who is merciful and kind, a God of encouragement, a God of hope, a God of comfort, a God of healing, a God of restoration and forgiveness. Lord, we know this because of the image that you sent for us in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. 
who not only represented you, he is God. He demonstrated that he is the word of God, come to proclaim you and to deliver sinners from eternal damnation to the hope of eternal life, a life that we have even this morning because of his work. So Lord, as we sing of his work and we sing of the confirmation of that work, Lord, may joy be produced in us, Christ's joy. May you uh, transform us today. Use all of this service, Lord, not out of rote uh, ritual or anything that we would just happen to be here, and, but Lord, that, that your purposes would mightily be accomplished today and that the hearts of us all would be brought to faith and repentance in your son, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for us and loved us. And so we praise you, you alone, in Christ's name, amen. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond the That he should give his only son To make a wretch's treasure How great the pain of searing lords The father turned his face away As wounds which mar the chosen Bring many sons to glory. Behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. A I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Thank you, Lord. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no came from Israel I cared I'd give it answer by this I know with all my heart his wounds have 
sing of the work of Christ, and we sing of the confirmation of that work, the result of that work for each of us, that he now is our sure and our steady anchor, and will preserve us and sustain us until the very end, in faith and in love. Christ the short and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me, when my sails have all been torn in the suffering and the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are filled. I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. Christ the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation Claims the battle and it seems the night has won. Deeper still and grows the anchor. Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief hopeless somehow oh my soul now lift your eyes to Calvary oh yes my best of assurance see his love forever Shall never be removed. Christ the short and steady anchor as we face the wave of death 
When these trials give way to glory As we draw our final breath We will cross the great horizon Clouds behind and life secure And the calm will be the better For the storms that we endure Christ is your of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the acre, it shall never be removed. Christ has done the work. He will finish the work. The work is alive and well in us. We praise him for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, you can be seated. Good morning. Before I get started, I wanted to take a moment to... uh, Thank my wife and my family for being here and supporting me through this process. I especially want to thank Austin, Joe Cerisi, the Elder Board for their courage and their prayers. A little bit about us. My name is Louis Giotto. Uh, Jennifer and I have been married for 20 year, 21 years. Uh, last year doesn't count because of COVID. Uh, um, we've been attending Providence for 17 years and have developed some awesome relationships and friendships and hope to have more. So don't let me scare you away today. So with that, I'll start and share with you my story. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents married in their early 20s and my father was finishing up seminary school. They moved to the States and settled on the west side of Cleveland and began attending a local church. At the age of 12, I was baptized in Lake Erie. And I remember during my baptism, The pastor asked me if I loved Jesus. I looked out into the lake, moved by God's creation. I cried and said yes. At that moment, I knew I would always have Jesus in my heart. Soon after, my father moved us to Sheffield Village as he aspired to start his own ministry and plant a church like we had in Cleveland. At the age of 14, my parents had some friends from out of town come for a visit. They left behind some of their belongings. One day, I noticed a large duffel bag that I had never seen before. Inside was an untitled VCR tape. This was my first experience with pornography. I quickly became addicted and would come home from school every day and watch the tape. I did not want to get caught, so I made sure to rewind the tape to the exact spot I found it. However, a few times I noticed that it was not in the same spot I left it at. At that time, I dismissed it and figured that I had not been careful enough when rewinding. Several months went by, and one day my father approached me outside and began to talk to me about pornography and and explain to me why it was wrong. I denied watching the tapes, but we both knew the truth. The next day, the bag was gone. I went through high school not having access to pornography, but the images were still ingrained in my head. I began feeding the addiction by looking at swimsuit magazines and began collecting them. When I graduated high school, I decided to go to Christian college because I wanted to marry a Christian woman. 
During my third year in college is when the internet became easily accessible. So I purchased an internet device that connected to my TV. It did not take long for me to figure out that there was pornography on the internet. I would screen capture images and save them to my device. This went on for about a year and I stopped the behavior after I started dating my wife. I did not want to carry this baggage into our relationship. We had a short courtship and were married just a few months after dating. I kept telling myself if I got married, the behavior would stop, but sadly I was wrong. In our first year of marriage, we decided to get a computer. Once again, there I was, falling into that same cycle I was in before, collecting photos and storing them on the PC. I told myself that if I stayed away from the pornographic photos, that I was not doing anything wrong. They were just pictures of art, until one day, my wife found them on the computer. After initially dismissing the behavior, I decided to admit to my wife that I had a problem and that I was not aware of the damage I was doing. We eventually worked things out and I deleted all the files. It was then I realized that this could ruin my marriage if I did not stop the behavior. Admitting I had a problem and telling my wife was a big step for me. I began to actively pray to be free of this sin. I thought through prayer and Christian fellowship, I would have the strength to overcome, but I couldn't stop 100%. I began with binge cycling. I would go for weeks and months of not watching content. Then I would have a relapse and binge for a day. This went on for years. Several years later, a close friend of mine was having marital problems due to infidelity. My friend admitted to me that the struggle, he struggled with this same sin. With the birth of Facebook, it took his addiction to another level and it led him to connect with old girlfriends. He was sharing this with me because at the time he was in a men's Christian recovery group who also struggled with the same addiction. The group was part of the Pure Desires ministry. It was then that I first shared my struggles with pornography with someone else other than my wife. I remember feeling a sense of liberation that I was not alone in this battle. I was curious to learn more about this ministry. My friend gave me some info to read about and recommended a book called Pure Desires by Ted Roberts. He told me that if I was serious about getting help, I should find a group to join. I began looking up information on the Pure Desires website and learning what programs they had to offer for recovery. At that time, there were no groups in my area. They offered some weekend seminars in surrounding states, but nothing local that I could participate in. I settled with purchasing the Pure Desires book and began reading it. The book helped me understand the history and dynamics of what was happening to me. But more importantly, it provided tools on how I could start winning this battle. The one thing the book kept referring to was getting involved in a recovery group. But again, there were no groups in my area. However, at this time in my journey, I had a newfound strength to battle against this sin in my life. My purge cycles went for months to years but I was still in bondage. I often helped my parents with their technology needs, and there was a large update that needed to be applied to their computer. One day, when I logged onto their PC via remote connection, I was immediately confronted with graphic images. These images were beyond anything I had ever experienced. I immediately turned off my PC in shock and began to process what had just happened. I first had to deal with the fact that what I saw had begun to resurface previous images I had been trying so hard to suppress. Then I had to figure out what was going on in my parents' house. 
I called my mother and told her what happened. There was nothing but silence on the other end of the line. When my mother did begin to speak, I could hear the crack in her voice as she began to explain the hard truth that she was spending most of her life trying to protect my brothers and I from. You see, I was careful when rewinding the VCR tapes, but I had no idea that my father was also watching them in secret. For years, while my mother lived with this betrayal, she always tried her best to protect the image of my father. However, after I had some time to process this new reality in my life, I realized that the image of my father had not changed. If anything, it helped explain more about why I was not able to have the relationship I ultimately wanted with my father. I realized then it was not anything I had done wrong, but it was more about his inability to have any type of intimacy with anyone. While I was not actively viewing content, I felt like a dry drunk. I fantasized more than ever and wanted to act out on those fantasies. I was sensing that the battle lines of my addiction had shifted. The enemy was actively plotting against me. I began to read the word more, have more consistency in my devotional life, engage in fellowship with other Christian men in church and in Bible study. Anything I could do to give me the strength to win this battle over this sin. But these methods were not effective. They did not address the specific reason driving the unwanted behavior. In the summer of 2018, I went to Philly for a training seminar for work. I was there for a week and on the last day I decided to get a massage. I asked the Uber driver if he knew of any good places. He asked me what kind of massage was I looking for. Before long, he was dropping me off at what appeared to be someone's house. I knocked on the door. A few seconds after that, I felt a sense come over me and the spirit spoke to me and said, what are you looking for? I quickly turned around and began walking away. I ordered another Uber to take me back to my hotel and I flew back home the next morning. I continued with my devotion and even started listening to addiction-related podcasts, just trying to find ways to give me the strength to not want to act out. I was exhausted. Tired of lying to my wife, afraid of being found out, and ashamed of my weakness. Then the following year, I had to travel Germany for a work assignment. I was there for two weeks, and again, I was tempted to get a massage. But this time, I was in another country where the laws surrounding this area are far more liberal. I went as far as picking out my masseuse based on how attractive she was. On the last day, I made an appointment to visit the massage parlor. I got on the train and headed to Frankfurt. As I was turning the corner on the final block, once again, the spirit spoke to me and said, what are you looking for? I immediately turned around and began walking away. Got back on the train and headed to my hotel and flew back home the next day. When I returned back to the States, I began searching for help. I was afraid of how I was being attacked and how the battle lines continued to evolve. I knew I needed help and if it meant driving for hours to attend therapy or counseling, I was gonna make that commitment. I did not want to end up like my father. I needed to break the cycle. 
I proceeded to go to the Pure Desires website, and I found out that there was a group in Bay Village, Ohio, which is only 20 minutes from my home. Immediately, a sense of excitement and hope came over me. The page had a name and phone number. I contacted the phone number via text and expressed interest in joining the group. I then began to pray for a response. I later received a reply back, and it said, your timing is impeccable. We're meeting this Thursday. After reading that text message, I broke down in tears as I knew this was a God-orchestrated moment. My emotions took over and I could feel the embrace of Christ as he held me tightly to his chest. I have been involved in the Pure Desires Recovery Group for over a year now. And I've experienced healing like never before. Being in a group has allowed me to process my pain with others who can truly empathize. Now I see how my sexual brokenness is pointing to a fuller picture of what healing could be. Through the sanctity of Christ, I am able to begin to understand the nature of forgiveness, find my identity in him, and learn how to establish healthy boundaries in my relationships, and most powerful of all, experience a true renewing of the mind. Looking back at those attempted massage parlor visits, I realized that Christ was with me in those moments and that he was not angry with me. That his heart was fixed on me and that he was loving me and he was not demanding that I stop. He was demanding that I invite him into that moment to help me understand how I got into that moment and what is beneath that moment ultimately, to help me search for what I'm really searching for. You know, it's, it's one thing to read, I am loved. It's one thing to read, I will be with you. But for Christ to be with me in my addiction, for him to be with me in my bondage of sin and in brokenness and relapse over and over again and again, that is what changes me. This addiction has robbed me of many things, but what I regret the most is the lack of intimacy with Christ, my wife, my children, family, and my friends. But Christ is faithful, and he has a plan for me, and part of that plan involves restoration. His plan does not involve me being a slave to this sin. So today, I share with you my testimony in obedience for personal healing and most of all to offer hope and healing for others. I will conclude with this, 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is good. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Thank you for listening to my story. You can clap. Well, we do show our appreciation for a host of reasons, really for uh, Lewis and Jen to start a conversation that we need to have as a church family, that as you know, that this is uh, something that really affects everyone. 
that if you go on to any Christian website, you'll find the statistics are alarming even before COVID. So in 2016, we would learn that on one website, uh, 4.6 billion hours of pornography watched. That's uh, 17,000 lifetimes in one year, one website. Average age of exposure, 11 years old. Uh, most will be watched on a smartphone. Uh, it's not just a problem for males. That, uh, we're learning that it's uh, up to a third of females that uh, would go to access pornography often. Uh, we see that it uh, infiltrates every area of life, be it marriage, even sometimes our job performance, that this is a conversation uh, we need to be aware of. And if we fail uh, to preach the gospel into the area that needs it most, then I think we're, we're really uh, doing ourselves a disservice that Christ can enter in and can offer victory and healing. So what we're going to do is uh, really start a, a chapter. You heard Lewis talk about Pure Desires Ministry. So on Tuesday night, starting March 2nd, it'll go through the end of the year, be in the first room on the left as you enter into the back of the church uh, from 7 to 8.30. We'll get those details out. But every Tuesday night, 7 to 8.30, it's a conversation about this issue that, again, is kind of infiltrating uh, every area of, of our lives uh, now. And you think, well, who should go? I mean, I think about somebody like me who has sons. Uh, my sons are not that shy of 11. How am I going to have this conversation with them? Uh, what do I need to know? Maybe you don't have sons, but you have daughters, and those daughters are going to be married, and you want to know about those sons-in-law. Maybe you're somebody who mentors. I hope uh, we mentor other people in the church. You're an older guy. You're mentoring a young guy, and this is a problem in his life. What are we going to say? Or maybe you're a lady who's mentoring another lady, and her husband's involved. You say there's a host of reasons why you might want to have this conversation, but it's uh, wise for us to say this is a, a key issue of our day, and uh, there is victory and, and cleansing in Christ. And so, Lewis, again, thank you very much, Jen, uh, for standing tall for Christ, uh, for, for uh, helping us see how he uh, can come in and heal and restore and get us on the right track. So that's uh, what we'll do, Pure Desires Ministry. Lewis and I will be around after the service and, and uh, others as well if you want to talk. And again, hope uh, this is an encouragement to me about what Christ can do uh, in our lives and again, how he can address even the most uh, pressing, pressing matters. All right. Thank you very much. If uh, Tom wants to come up to pray. Great. Good morning. Um, if you'd please join me as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. I'm going to read a, a few verses from Colossians chapter 3 at the start, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then going to verses 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, we come to you praying, knowing that you hear every word of our prayer, whether we pray audibly or in our minds and hearts. We thank you for always being there when we call on you. We thank you for the peace of Christ that trends all human understanding that can only be found in a deep relationship with you, Father, and an acceptance of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. God, as, as we move, help us to give you glory in all we do. Help us to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Transform our minds, Lord, so that we don't live as this world, so that we come to a, a true love for you, Father, of, of your immense caring and compassion and grace and mercy, and that we more deeply know your son, Jesus, who left your right hand to come to earth to do something that we couldn't do, to be holy and appoint us to you, Father. Jesus taught us what it is to be humble, what it, what it is to put aside his plans and to follow, follow your will, Lord. And so often, we ignore your plans for us, thinking that our plans are better, thinking that our desires are above yours, Lord. Let that not be from this day forward. Help us to be more like Jesus. We think about his cross and thinking about what true love is and true sacrifice. We celebrate his resurrection and knowing what true salvation is, looking at our Savior on the cross dying for us. For those of us who believe in Jesus as our Savior, God, we thank you again for your love and compassion. And for those who may not have, who have not accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, I pray that if there's any here or listening, Lord, that today may be the day that they come to Christ and know what true peace is, true freedom, and experience a true love that can only be found in you and your Son. God, give us the courage as a congregation and individually to be more bold in sharing who Jesus is with others who need to know. And God, we thank you that not only are you a God that loves, but you are a God that forgives. You delight when we come to you to confess our sins, Father, and we know that you are just and right and will forgive us our sins. Thank you, Don. And God, we come now with prayers of the church and of our country, Lord, and hear the unspoken prayers that are in each of our hearts as we come to you. We pray for our country in this world, Lord, a world that's a political divide, racial tensions, freedom issues, Lord. The peace we have is, God, that nothing surprises you, that you are in control. And we know that all will be worked out for your glory, Lord. But God, we call on you to bring our country together. We, we call on Christians individually to point people to you, Father, and your Son, not to earthly things, God. But we submit to your control and your timing. We know that it's better than ours, Lord, and let us delight in your timing and trust in your timing. God, for this virus which has gone throughout the world, Lord, and infected, I know people here in our church who have had it, Lord, please remove the virus in your timing 
But until that happens, Lord, we ask you to heal those who have been impacted by it, Lord, both physically, but also economically, maybe spiritually, Lord, where doubt has come to them, Lord. And help us as a church to be mindful of that. So God, please protect our church and those family members as we work through this and again, wait on your timing to bring about your will. God, I lift up Lewis and Jen and Lord and, and this Pure Desires ministry, Lord. Thank you for their courage, Lord, in sharing what a transformed heart and desire just to be free God is. And let it, each of us be real with the challenges of things that we're holding on to that keep us in bondage, God, and let us go before you. And I pray for those people who will show up on Tuesday nights, Lord. Let them sense a freedom in Christ and a freedom knowing how much you love us and the work that Christ did on the cross to give us that freedom. Father, we lift up those police and teachers and first responders and healthcare workers who are seeking to serve others, God, just protect them. We lift up the ISM ministry, Lord, and, and the class I'll be starting today, this evening, Lord. We pray that wins many to Christ. We also ask for the men's and women's Bible study, Lord, to, to help people be encouraged and to walk with each other, Father, and continue to lift up our staff, the elders. We pray for Austin's sermon today, Lord, that it will touch hearts, Lord, that will change lives. And let us continue to be faithful servants of, of givers. And for those in our congregation suffering from health care concerns or families, cancer, or other diagnosis, God, please heal them. But more importantly, draw them closer to you, Father, and let them just sense your presence and your peace. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you now please join me, and if you're able to please stand as we read, as I read um, from the second chapter of Philippians, verses 12 through 18. So if, if you're listening, or if you can, please stand out of respect and reverence for God's word. So I'll begin in Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated. Thanks, Tom. It's good to remind ourselves uh, what we're doing at this point in the service and what preaching is. We often have a distorted view of preaching, so we try to bring this up regularly. See, now's not a time where one person tells all the others how to think, but rather where the people of God opening the Word of God together 
working out what God would uh, tell us to do and instruct us and how to form us, and then we encourage our brothers and sisters, right, to further maturity in him. So it's a very much a dialogical, uh, dare I say, a dialogical uh, activity where, again, we're opening up the word of God and working out what it says and encouraging each other to greater obedience in Jesus. And as we looked at last week in uh, Philippians chapter 2, this wonderfully rich theological passage, you say all the great Christological truths in verses 6 to 11, always give way to practice. That you'll find those who always want to drive a wedge. You say, I don't need that theology doctrine stuff. I want to know how to live in the world. And you say, well, may it never be that the truths about God will always inform how we live in the world. So as Paul would stack up those great uh, Christological truths, they're for a point, right? And the point was to be others-minded. That while we tend towards selfish ambition and conceit and vainglory, so that's the default position of the human heart, we model our Lord and Savior, and we can become others-minded as we abase ourselves, as he is the great example of self-abasement. You see how it goes, and today, really building on that, hence the therefore, in uh, verse 12, right, it is uh, kind of building on the same theological truths, but now to get towards obedience, that our theology is always practical. What God has done in Jesus always points towards how we behave in the world and how we're to be more and more like him, others-minded and more obedient. Now today, verses 12 and 13 can cause a bit of anxiety for the Protestant because what we have here is this statement, right, to work out your own salvation. And what you know is that when you, you study the Reformation and what was at stake there in the 16th century, and one of the first things you learn in Sunday school, right, is that you don't work for your salvation. That there's no amount of good stuff I can do to impress God. Hey, God, look at me. Look at all this stuff I've done for you. Now will you please let me spend eternity with you? Say, it doesn't work that way for a host of reasons. Not least of which is the fact that you say, no matter how much good I can do, it doesn't erase all the bad things that I've been doing, and I become enslaved because I've got those kind of scales in my mind, right? When's the good going to outweigh the bad? You say, we, know, we all know it's impossible. The Bible doesn't teach it, that we don't work for our salvation. But it's very important to say, Paul doesn't say you work for your salvation. What does he say? He says, work out your salvation, that it's already there that may there be no doubt about it that as we come to these famous verses that our being saved is a work of God from start to finish. All you need to do is go back a couple of pages, or in my Bible, a couple of pages, to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he, that's God, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What's that saying? That it is God who regenerates the human heart, and that he carries us through until the end. When God is at work in a person, right, as he is in the Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian, God is at work in that person, that God's going to bring us about to the end that he has ordained for us, that salvation belongs to the Lord from start to finish, that he draws his elect, he strengthens the elect, and he carries on the work in his elect to the completion of Christ Jesus. Now, that being said, what is Paul saying? He's saying, while salvation has been get granted to you as the gift of Christ, right, that even faith itself is a gift, the gift of being regenerated by the Spirit of God, that it is in incumbent upon the believer to work that out in a tough 
world where we have the world and the flesh and the devil drawing us other way, otherwise. You see the, the way that it works? The salvation is already there, but we're, it's up uh, then to us to work it out into the world with the energy that God supplies, right? Because then, right, when you're looking, work out my own salvation, what, what do I mean by that? But then come back in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you can see the action there. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We were six feet under, only to be rescued by the divine hand reaching down. What a marvelous truth that is, right? That I'm not enslaved. I'm not weighing my good works about against my bad works. I never know if I'm going to make it. But rather, God's rescued me. He's regenerated my heart. And now that I'm in Christ, I struggle to work it out in a world where that's very difficult. We're to work out our faith. If you will, I'll put it this way, the grammarians in the room, you say the theological indicative gives way to the moral imperative, right? The theological indicative, that is the truth of who God is and what he's done, informs how we live in the world, the moral imperative that we work it out. We hold fast. Look at all the words that Paul would use here, right? That he labors, he holds fast. He'd even go so far as to say that his life has been a struggle, that he's being poured out, to use that pagan Im imagery of the libation being poured on the, on the altar. In other words, being a Christian is hard work. And so can you see the two pitfalls? As we often talk about the erring on both sides that the, here we're, we're kind of navigating, on the one hand, everyone defaults to work for, because that's where I have control. That's the default position. Well, how do I earn it, especially for we Americans, right? Say, I want to earn it. I want to stack up the good works. I want to show God what a good person I am. Say, no, that's a, a, a blasphemy, really, because it renders the work of Christ um, unnecessary, that if we could get there on our own through our good works, then why would God put forth Jesus to die in such a fashion and raise him from the dead, all that trouble of that drama, if I can do it on my own, but I know that I can't do it on my own. That will never be good enough for God. And as I said, what do I do about my past? That we never have the mentality that we work for our salvation. And yet the other pitfall is that somehow our faith is simply a, a stale commitment to the past. So I'm a Christian. I... I said that prayer a long time ago, or my parents were Christians, and therefore I guess I am, that they say there's no idea of a labor or a struggle at all. And say both of those are false. Say we're saved by God alone from start to finish. But he supplies us with the energy to struggle and labor in the world to be more and more like him. You see, there's no logical contradiction. It's just the way that it works. And listen to that. You know, I think if you ask a Christian, and this might be the best test. You know, a lot of us are Christians in the room, but you talk to a Christian about their life and they think back uh, over their past, it's not uh, uncommon for them to say something like this. You know, this was a very difficult period in our lives. We faced great hardship. It was a really difficult time, and yet God's grace got us through it. Say, no doubt that it was hard. We were really struggling to stay faithful, to stay on mission, to keep Christ supreme. And yet God gave us the grace and gave us the energy and the wisdom to get through it. You might even think, say, I don't know how I got through that without God. And yet it is both, right? God has supplied us and we've struggled to work it out. How about a few biblical verses? You can look these up uh, again. I say some, some ways, how refreshing. But take, for example, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Listen to how Paul writes. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You say, what's he saying there? He's saying, 
I worked real hard. And being a Christian in this world is really tough work. If you think it's an easy road and there's no real struggle to be had and you don't fight for every inch in this world to be more and more in line with Christ and worship him, you say you got the wrong idea of what it is to be a Christian. But at each of those moments, God supplied me with the energy and the power that I need to live for him. How about 2 Peter 1.10? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fail. So what's Peter saying? He's saying the, the election and the calling are there, but be diligent to practice such things to make sure that that is in fact the case. You say, because what do we do? Well, we, we teach the wonderful theological doctrine of uh, the assurance of our salvation, but sometimes we apply that to scenarios where we're not exactly sure that there's been fruit, right? You say, well, both. We want to hold this tension, right? My salvation is all of God from start to finish, but he supplies me with the energy and the power to work it out in a time and a place where that's not always easy. So point to one, salvation belongs to the Lord from start to finish. We work out what he works in. By the way, the title, you'll see a little asterisk there. I couldn't say it better than Oswald Chambers, uh, who wrote this in that famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, right? I think it's a very appropriate title. God works it in, and we work it out. Of course, by we work it out by the energy he provides. The testimony of Christians from Paul all the way down to the present day, being a Christian's hard work, but God pushes us forward. Now, what are we uh, precisely working at our own salvation? What's one aspect of this? in our passage, and that is to be called increasingly to a distinct manner of life. That the Christian operates in the world in a way that uh, should be a little bit odd to the non-Christian. And quite frankly, I wish we were a little bit more comfortable with this. I think we've uh, gone off the rails a bit in uh, American evangelicalism the last 40 years by kind of saying, well, we're not all that unusual. You know, I mean, we, we can just be an echo chamber of the culture, and whatever the culture's doing, we bring into the church, and, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, really communicate to anybody that, that, you know, Jesus is king and that we should confess to him and worship him, and we kind of, you know, smooth over those edges. And you say, I think that's the problem that when Christ comes on the scene 2,000 years ago, that his followers knew straight away, said there's something distinct about this, that there are things we do that I wouldn't do if I was not a Christian, there are things that I don't do that I, that I otherwise would do if I wasn't a Christian. You get the idea if I said that correctly. You get, we're to be distinct. We're to be distinct. And here we're seeing in this elsewhere called the obedience of faith, I think three Old Testament phrases, right? If you're familiar with reading the whole Bible, say the three Old Testament phrases to help us to see what we're going to be like. First is this notion of fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If I could just summarize that, I'd say this is serious business. In a time where God is so often brought low, you think how many millions across Western Europe and even in our own country go many, many days without even thinking about God. How many even in the church, right, say, yeah, we do a little prayer before the meal or something, but can go many hours without even thinking about God. How much does God matter? That the fear and trembling would point to the incredible awesomeness and the supremacy of God, that he controls everything, and that I'm ultimately accountable to him, that I'm to work out every day, right? That he's supplied me with the energy, he's regenerated uh, my, my life and given me faith, and I struggle and work it out. Why? Because I know that I'm one day accountable to him. That's a distinctive. And I think we get a further clue, phrased in Paul, but really I think pointing to the much higher truth. He says, you're going to work out this salvation whether I'm there or not. <laughs> and I like that, to say, well, are we those who 
We can, we can work at it when others are watching. But the real question is, do I work out this salvation when no one is watching? Reminds me of the saying of the sailors uh, back when they would leave the Mediterranean basin, right? Oh, every man's a bachelor once he gets past Gibraltar. Uh, in other words, is it like that? Well, yeah, I'm going to work it out when I'm in front of everybody else, when everybody's watching, but actually what it should be is that I'm working out and struggling and laboring, right, with the energy he supplies to be more and more like Christ because I'm actually accountable to God. And I'm very thankful for this little reflexive pronoun there in verse 12. Work out your own salvation. You see, what I think this is getting at as we talked about the balance between being in community and individuals last week, but your own points to how very uh, personal a lot of this can be for folks. You say, not everyone struggles in the same way. You say, think of what we've even heard this morning, right? You say, well, you know, on that business trip. You say, there's a real temptation to do something, and you say, well, wait a second here. I've got to really labor. I've got to really struggle, right, to work out what it means to follow, a, be a more mature follower of Christ. You say, that's not every man's battle, but every person's battle, or every person's battle, but some people's battle. How about finances? You say, it's tax season. You say, well, if we just kind of manipulate the numbers a little bit, I don't think we're going to get caught. It's not that much money. Uh, you know, we, we can make this happen. It's not. Or do you say, wait a second here. God supplied me with what I need to follow him more. And this is a real struggle in my life because I have these kinds of uh, tendencies, but I got to work it out. Why? Because there's a fear and trembling of the awesomeness of God, and I'm accountable to him. How about past wounds? You say, all of us have these various stories from our past. You say, the wounds, well, how they, they can impact how we live today. They do impact, but I got to work and struggle with the energy that God supplies, all by his grace, to be more and more in the likeness of him. You get the idea that we're to be those. Salvation belongs from, to God from start to finish. But in what he supplies, we work it out in the world with fear and trembling out of the character, uh, out of who he is in his character. Second Old Testament uh, image here, not just the fear and trembling, as you see that phrase occurring a lot, but how about uh, to do all things, verse 14, to do all things without grumbling or disputing or some grumbling or complaining. So again, you know your Bible well. This takes you to the Exodus narrative, doesn't it? Here comes Moses. He's leading the Israelites. They've witnessed all the great miracles, and yet what do they do? They bicker and they complain, and they long for uh, things uh, the way that they used to be. And how much is this the case? That this salvation that is ours, and to be placed in this part of the world in these times and these days, we have so much, and yet we're plagued by bad attitudes that we can use our tongues and our voices and our dispositions to discourage the people of God, to complain? Or rather, do we say, actually, we're those, how many times in our letter were marked by joy that Paul, even as he would uh, see death as being imminent, right, that he's delighting, actually, in the fact that his sacrifice would be for building up the faith of the Philippians, and he says, I'm glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me that the Christian should be a cheerful person. A cheerful follower of Jesus, using our tongues in such a way that honor him. I get that question a lot, actually. Um, how are Christians really different? I mean, what's one thing a Christian does that a non-Christian doesn't? You say, that's a good question. But it might very much start with something like this, about a disposition, about an attitude, about a mindset, about how we speak to one another. 
So that's the idea, that we're not to be those who grumble and complain and dispute, but rather to be marked by kindness and by showing the joy that we have for being in Jesus. So fear and trembling, grumbling and complaining. And thirdly, you'll see that we're to be those who are, uh, verse 15, shine as lights in the world. Comes up in a number of places about God's people being light. Uh, so take, for example, uh, Daniel chapter 12, right? That great, uh, what we call an eschatological vision at the end, that God's people are to be light shining in the world. Not because we're the greatest people ever, but again, because God is at work in us. I hope, like all of you, maybe know a time in your life, for me as a college student, graduate student, you know, single guy, and, you know, kind of in the church, but kind of on my own, and, and uh, how there'd be older couples, older Christian couples who'd invite me into their home. And I just remember thinking, boy, they seem to be right on it, that the way they treat each other, the way their house feels, the kind of priorities that they have, what they're able to keep to the periphery, I said, this is very attractive indeed. I'd like this very much. So that's the idea of the Christian life. You say people look at our lives and say, wow, look at how that person uses their speech. They have such a serenity. I mean, even in a pandemic and the political aggravations, and yet they have such a peace and a joy about them that it must be, there must be something else at work in them. Well, yes, of course, right? It's an obedience of faith to Jesus. That's the prayer. And all this to say, we're to be distinct, notice, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I have to be careful here because I don't, as we learned last week, I don't want to be prideful, but I... I don't know if it's just unique to our times, but I, like all of you, I can't even tell sometimes whether I, I pull up an article. I don't know whether it's satire or whether it's real news. Um, to, to tell you, I just, I don't even know, uh, you know, where, where the, the, the truth out there sometimes is. I have to constantly come back to the Lord Jesus. See, when I'm discouraged about things, for example, the fact that our national debt is soaring to such a place where the taxes that we pay pretty soon will only be paying the interest on the national debt. You say it's one thing to pay taxes for roads and school, but what do we do when we just go fund our recklessness? You say, how does a Christian behave? What about vocabulary now and positions that were not that long ago, severe mental disabilities now being championed as great causes? How, what do we, well, we're cheerful followers of Christ that we're kind and hopeful, not in a false way, but rather to say, you know, we have the Lord Jesus and we need to shine, we need to stay true to who he is, right? That we're to be, to borrow that great Johannine phrase, in the world, but not of it. That the words used here, blameless and innocent, kind of from the mixing of metals, were to be unalloyed, uh, were to be unmixed, were to be in the world, but we're also to be distinct. Why? Because we're the ones who have an appropriate fear and trembling before God, working out our salvation without grumbling and complaining so that God can use us as lights to a hurting people. That's the vision. I know the time will be late here soon, so I'll kind of leave you with what I think the thrust of this is uh, through an image, right? So you say salvation belongs to God from start to finish. We struggle to work it out with the energy he provides, becoming more and more... Uh, in conformity with who Jesus is, holding fast, you notice verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. And I hope this image is as uh, beneficial to you as it has been to me, but the church steeple, that we chose the image of the church steeple for this series, and church steeples are very important, not just architecturally uh, distinctiveness, but they tell you something about what uh, the church should be about. And this is the, the unchanging nature of God across times. That's really what the steeple is. You say, that steeple going up and down, you say, the seasons come and go, 
yeah, underneath the steeple, we're going to have renovations in the lobby, and that changes, and the faces change, and whatever. But the principle of God, the principles of God, the gospel of God, and what he's done stands timeless. And we find ourselves right in this place where we say we're called to greater obedience, right, to holding fast to the truth, to working that out. See, that's what we must do as the people of God. So Christian, say the, this journey, right, this journey of working out your own salvation is never done this side of heaven. That it is the lifelong, personal, working out of what God has worked in. And that's, that's what we're about when we meet, right? A continuation of working out the salvation that God has so graciously given us. That there's always a way to be more and more obedient uh, in our faith. And again, to encourage each other to that end. And if you're not a Christian, you say you're reading this, you say, well, I don't even know, uh, this is uh, you know, very odd to me. I hope what you see is that there's a high calling on the life of the Christ follower. And you're called to being anchored in the great truth in all the world, right? To have a hope in the end, to have a purpose now, and that you would surrender to the Lord Jesus and recognize that the real life is lived in him, that we can grow in our relationship with him. That's the prayer. So those things are being said. We can think about all that's been said before us today, and Pastor Ian will come up in a moment to lead us in a final hymn. Gracious Father, we fall into the temptation of trying to work for our salvation. Help us to realize that we're bankrupt, that I don't have anything that would impress you enough to say, look at all I've done, God. Uh, aren't you pleased with me? But at the same time, Lord, help us not to be those who don't realize that there's a real struggle a real labor to work out the faith that you've so graciously given us in Christ, that you've regenerated our hearts and are going to supply us. Some right now in the room, you say they're in the midst of these deep trials and these deep questions. And I pray that we would continue to lean on you, to, to cast our, our cares and anxieties on you, and to, to say you are the one who's going to work in us not only to do, but also to will, that you'll change our desires to be more in conformity with yours. And Lord, help us to be a distinct people, not in a prideful sense, but in the sense of, yeah, we're, we, we follow Jesus. We, we think Jesus is king. We think he's Lord, and he's the one we should obey. And help us to see, yeah, this is, this is different. May we do it winsomely with a real fear and trembling before you by using our tongues in a way that pleases you and builds other, other, others up without grumbling and complaining so that you would use us, Lord, to be lights that shine. Oh, Lord, use us to this end. Continue to... Help us to do and to will your will. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, church, let's respond and sing this truth that Christ will hold us fast. Let's stand together. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is soft and cold, he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will 
he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast Precious it is holy I He will hold me fast He'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall last Bought by him at such a cost he will hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast my life he bled and died Christ will hold me fast justice has been satisfied he will hold me fast raised with him to endless life he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me for my Savior loves me so He will hold me fair As I was thinking about this passage this week, I came across at the end of Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see how that relates. Yes, we're born again by the Spirit. May we keep in step with Him, working out what God works in. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you until we shall meet again or until our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, comes now and forevermore. Amen. May we go in the Lord's peace. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter Oh!